So if you've got uh, your notes or your Bible, we have made it to this uh, portion called Nitzvahim, Nitzavim, I'm sorry. It's for uh, standing. So Moses, this, these are Moses' last words to the people of Israel. Uh, Joshua is going to take them across, <clears throat> and they've already been told that when you cross over uh, the Jordan and you enter into the land, you're to ratify this covenant again. And he's basically saying, we are now standing and standing here ready to cross over. That's what this portion is about, and that's why it's called this, and it's uh, standing. So these first few verses here in Deuteronomy 29, uh, 10 through 12, are, I, say, I know I say this every week, they're important. Your Bible's important, you know, so read your Bible, people, right? So let's look at this. Just these first few verses, then we'll pray and pray that God would honor in our reading and studying of His Word. Amen. So it says, um, All of you are standing today before Yahovah, your Elohim, your leaders, your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and your sojourner who is in the midst of your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water that you should enter into covenant with Yahovah your Elohim and into His oath, which Yahovah your Elohim makes with you today. Pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would honor the reading of your word. Heavenly Father, that you would prick our hearts, you would draw us into a closer relationship with you. And Lord, that your word would just literally jump off the page at us. Lord, help us learn how to love you better. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so here's what I want you to see <clears throat> um, in this first little section here as this whole thing gets started off. It says, All of you are standing here today before Yahovah, and He is your Elohim. He is your God. Then He says, Your leaders, your tribes, your elders, your officers, all, all the men of Israel... Uh, from the little ones, the, the kids, to the wives, to even those uh, that are there like servants that are maybe cutting wood. It, it says, it, it doesn't matter your status, in other words. Everybody from the most important within Israel to those that you would consider the least important. Maybe somebody that's just gathering water. And it says, you were all standing here today. So he's saying every one of you. Now this is important because he's saying every one of you as individuals are moving into this covenant with Yahovah your God. And we are all standing here. But then here's what's fascinating. So in verse 12 it says, so that you should enter into covenant with Yahovah your Elohim. That you is singular. We're all doing this together. He's telling Israel, you're all doing this together and you're moving into a covenant with God together as a people, as a nation. But that doesn't mean that you get to slough this off to your leaders. Every single one of you individually are going to move into this covenant relationship. And this becomes incredibly important as we continue to move through this 
these two chapters, and there's only two, as you'll, if you'll notice, the last few weeks here, these portions get a lot shorter, which I go, nice. I really like that because there's usually so much to cover. But this becomes really, really important. So he's saying, look, you're all here collectively, going to move into this covenant relationship with God collectively, but it happens individually. You following that? Um, there, you ever notice that there's nothing new under the sun? <laughs> Don't we do that today? We sh- shuffle off the responsibility on the leadership or the government or the boss or the, or the whoever instead of us taking responsibility. Um, that's why I'm glad we live in America that is a democratic republic. It's not a democratic state. It's a democratic republic, and for a reason, because our founders realized uh, you let government get too big, any government, it'll become tyrannical. I don't care who it is. And wanted to put the power of this government and governing body within the hands of the people. That's us. They work for us. And for us to have less than 30%, I don't even know what the actual number is, of people in America that actually vote, that could vote, it's shameful. Um, And so, little plug here, this November, I think it's one of the most important ones we've ever had, maybe ever in the history of our country. There's a lot of people that want to give up on the Democratic Republic. Um, They want it to just be a Democratic state, mob rule, and throw away the Constitution. You understand why they want to do that? Sorry, I'm getting off on this. But you understand why they want to do that? Does that? Have you ever wondered why? It's because the Constitution of the United States cannot exist with a one-world government. It is not compatible. It doesn't work. It's oil and water. And almost every, I would say, every single one of them that would just as soon do away with borders and do away with the Constitution the way we know it, are globalists. And we know where that takes us, right? Anyways, so in a few weeks, go vote. I gave you, (laughs) sorry, that little sermonette. Uh, I gave you the notes again out of this book or books um, where it's the outline for this whole portion on here. And it's taken from these books called Walk, and this one is Deuteronomy. Uh, I've just got that on there again because, folks, I'm, I use these. I'm reading these and, and uh, getting a lot of information from these books. If you haven't bought them yet, I'm not getting paid anything to tell you to get them. Uh, but it, it have, has some of y'all bought them? And have you been able to go through them? Or, they're really, really good stuff. Um, and, you know, especially for you guys that are teaching Torah at home and teaching your kids. Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, it's really, really good. So anyhow, uh, that's what that's there for. If you'll turn the page, we're going to continue to march through this chapter in chapter 29. And look at what this says here in verse 13. So he says, you're going to move into this covenant, and you're going to do this individually, but it's going to affect you as a group of people. And then look what it says. It says, in order to establish you as a people or nation for himself. And he himself be your Elohim 
as he has spoken to you, and as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Yitzhak, or Isaac, and to Jacob, or Yaakov is the right way to say it. So Jacob, whenever I call you Yaakov, that's why I'm calling you that. <laughs> um, but I want you to notice here what it says. It says, in order to establish you as a people. Folks, this is not a little sideline comment. This is critically important for you to understand your Bible and what God has been doing, what He is doing, why He's doing all this stuff, and why this issue over the people of Israel even existing is important. Right here He's saying again, He says it so many times in, his, in, in the Bible. We're going to cover this during Sukkot. If you haven't got your uh, reservations in to go with us, please do. If you can't stay, come out in the evenings. We're going to go through these Bible studies on the stuff that I've been working on for a long time that I promise you is going to make your Bible explode for you. It, it'll become like a watching a movie instead of this disjointed mess. Uh, here's one of the things that we will be covering because he says this is why he's doing all this because he's going to call you out to be his nation that is different than all the other nations. He's saying it again right here as they're moving into this covenant. Why? Because he needs them to remember this. They're going to forget it just like we do. So you have to go over it a million times so it finally starts to sink in and you understand the importance of it. Um, so he's telling us, and so he's going to establish you as a people, or that word is also nation, a group of people and nation, for himself and so that he can be your God. And this is the same thing that he swore and he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This isn't new. You, you get to verse 14, and this is fascinating. If you haven't seen this verse before, just buckle up. It says in verse 14, it says, and not with you alone I am making this covenant and this oath. But with him who stands here with us today before Yahovah our Elohim, as well as with him who is not here today. That's interesting, right? Because he's saying, listen... God is making this covenant with you, and you're going to move in, you're going to make this oath, but this covenant is not just with you and the sojourner and everybody else that's here, but it's also with those that are not standing here. So who would that be? It's everybody that has come along after them, their descendants, and us. And you're going to see this in a minute. Once again, I, this passage, this chapter, and chapter 30 is just so fascinating on how it ties in with the New Testament. You go, wow. So if you actually understand your Old Testament, the New Testament, things that Paul says, things that Jesus said, will actually make sense. And we'll get there in just a second. So he's saying... <clears throat> So this is for everybody that's not here today that's moving into a covenantal relationship with the one true God that is showing himself unique among all the other gods. That's what he's saying. You jump down to verse 18, 
And then here's this warning. Okay, now you remember when we said at the beginning, he said, all your elders, all these people, the leaders of your tribes and your wives and everybody's standing here, but you're moving into this covenant personally? Remember us? We just, okay, if I ask a question, God, y'all make me dizzy. If it's okay to respond, you're not here to just listen to me. We're doing this together, amen? Okay, so that's what we talked about at the very beginning. So now we're going to see the flip side of this that is absolutely fascinating. So in verse 18, now comes this warning. He says, beware, watch out, in other words, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or tribe. It starts off personally. Whose heart is turning away today, and I put this here in the ESV so you could see it a little bit more easily. Who is turning away today from the Lord our God and to go and serve other gods or, or the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit. The root bearing poisonous fruit is the heart that's turning away from God and serving other gods. That's the root that bears poisonous fruit. Verse 19, one who when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, oh, I'm going to be okay though I walk in the stubbornness of my own heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. We have to get to that in a second. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Can somebody say, uh-oh, or ouch, or I mean, are you kidding me? So the problem here now is saying, <clears throat> you need to be careful if there is a person among you that blesses himself, what, what he say? Prideful. Self-centered. Ain't no big deal. Hey, I got this. Anybody here other than me, you always think that your way's the right way. Sonia and I just talked about it today. She gave me the look in the kitchen. <laughs> um, but this is talking about something a lot bigger than that, where it says you're, this person's going to walk in the stubbornness of their own heart saying, you know, I know that's what God said. Listen to this. But that's not what it means to me. What, yeah, and, and, and whatever it is, right? Yeah. I mean... But, but that's not what it means to me, and, and I'll be okay. And, I mean, what's the big deal, right? God goes, 
Well, the big deal is you don't know your history. And you don't know your Bible. And you don't know what I've been having to put up with. And so when you drag this garbage in here in front of me, I'm remembering where it came from. And you're standing there telling me, you don't care what I just said. You're going to do what you want to do anyhow. So, okay, go ahead and go do that. But as you keep reading this, this becomes fascinating. Because he says, you need to beware. As a group, you need to be careful about this. You ever read, we've read these passages in Leviticus and some other places where he says, you know, if, if your son or your family or whatever says, come, let's go worship other gods, he says, you're supposed to stone them. And you go, well, why would God want them to be so brutal about something? I mean, because someone wanted to worship God a little differently and they should be stoned for it? Yes. In that context especially, I'm not telling you to go stone your kids. Are we clear on that? We're not in Israel. We're not living under a theocracy. The temple's not there. The priests aren't there. The judges aren't there. All that stuff. So, and they didn't do that. Even in Israel, they didn't go just stone their kids. Okay? We've already been over that. <laughs> uh, absolutely crazy. Okay? But why would he say to do that? Here's why. Because what happened was it's a root of bitterness that produces poisonous fruit. And you let that root grow, it becomes a problem. I've got these wild trees that grow up in my flower bed all the time. I hate those dumb things. I can't figure out where they come from. They grow into these massive trees, and I'm looking at it going, hmm. And as soon as it gets taller than about that, it becomes extremely hard to get up. Can anybody else relate? And I'm like, whatever bird is bringing these seeds over here, would you please stop? I don't, all along, when you come tomorrow, all along the roadway, it's filled with those trees. I don't know what they are. I don't know if it's sweet gum or whatever those big trees are. I don't, I don't think they're sweet gum. But uh, they're everywhere. And um, I'm always trying to pull them out as quick as I can because if I let them get that tall, I'm going to hurt myself and get that tall, literally that tall and this big around, I'm getting my tractor because the root is this long as is, is that long. And if the root breaks, I'm going to be there again. So I'm out there with a water hose, trying to get everything wet, tying something on so I can pull it up and pull it up slowly and tr try for the root to not break because I'm like, I'm going to be back. And I can't tell you how many times on my property I've been back so many times, you keep cutting it off thinking it'll die, and it's ground level, and it just keeps getting fatter and fatter and fatter. It's like the thing just will not die, you know? It's ridiculous. <clears throat> it's this root of bitterness that's going to produce this poisonous fruit that you don't want. And trust me, you don't want those massive trees growing up right next to your house, or your house is going to be worth about half of what it is today 15 years from now. <clears throat> watch what happens. You get to verse 22. It says, And the generation to come of your, um, of your children who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land shall say, When they see these plagues of the land, 
and the sickness with which Yahovah has sent into it, all its land is sulfur, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does, it, um, does any grass grow there. Like the overthrow of basically Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Tishbaim, which Yahovah overthrew in his displeasure and his wrath. So what's he saying? You have to get into a few verses there that I skipped over. What he's saying is, if this happens, what, here's what's going to happen. You will follow these other gods. And when that happens, I'm going to come and bring judgment upon you and kick you out because you're supposed to be my chosen people revealing to the world that I am who I say I am. And when you syncretize those religions and make my name common and profane my name, I will kick you out. And that is exactly what happened to them as a nation. Microphone drop. Uh, they did that happened to them as a nation <clears throat> because individuals started allowing this to happen and allowed it, allowed it to come in. Thank you, sir. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Um, so it starts off with one person, and you think, well, that's no big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, and it's amazing how, every, and most of the time, people want to fight problems like this backward. Like what's even going on in our country today. People were talking the other day about how to deal with uh, our colleges producing people that don't know history and all this other stuff. And so they start arguing about how to fix it. And what they don't understand is that it, you have to get in behind the scenes. It's the treasurers. The people that hold the money strings to the colleges are the ones that hire the presidents who then also hire all the professors. You don't fix it by firing a professor. You have to get, you have to get at the source. You got to get it all the way out from the root. And if you just keep, you know, dealing with the top of it, it just keeps growing and it's still there. So you have to get all the way to the very root of it. <clears throat> In any society, folks, you know what? Our problem is the breakdown of life. We have degraded life to the point it's ridiculous on all levels. And the family. Our families are a wreck. Why? Well, you know why? Because we just follow the inclinations of our heart. Instead of just being committed the way God said and do it His way, well, we've got a better way of doing it. Look at where that's getting us. It, it's messed up. And, it's, it starts, and it starts at the church. It starts on the individual level, on reading your Bible for what it says and following it for what it says, trusting God that He knows what He's talking about. And then watch this, and then teach your kids. And the strongest way you're teaching them is by the way you're acting. That old adage I grew up with, well, you do as I say, boy, you don't do as I do. Well, guess what? That don't work, does it? Monkey see, monkey do. I know y'all hear me talk about my farm all the time or my little ranchette, but it's really funny. 
and we've got these three turkeys and a duck, and the duck thinks he's a turkey. You know, a duck has webbed feet, right? Right? And a turkey doesn't have webbed feet. And they're really funny. And the other day, I kid you not, I've got pictures of it. I sent it to Bruce and Marilyn because they're the blessed people that gave us the turkeys and the duck. And so uh, I'm watching the animals and the three turkeys fly up, land on the fence, perched on the fence. The duck flew up onto the fence and perched up on the fence and stayed on the fence. I'm taking pictures going, that doesn't happen. That's... You're a duck. <laughs> um, you know, he thinks he's a turkey. I call him a durkey. He thinks he's a turkey because that's all he's been around. You mimic what you see and what you've been raised up with. Um, we need to unlearn a lot of stuff and start following what the Bible says. Amen? So... <clears throat> He says, look at, now, there's, there's so much packed in here. So after all this happens and this judgment has come upon you, now here's what I want you to see. <clears throat> this is a prophecy about the dispersion of the people of Israel right here in Deuteronomy. And we're living it because watch this. This should give you goosebumps. And the generation to come, meaning he's talking about in the future, the generation to come of your children, they're going to rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land shall say when they see the plagues of the land and the sickness which Yahweh sent it into, that all this land is like sulfur, blah, 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 and that we just read. A land from a, far, a, a foreigner even from a foreign land. Folks, that's us. Seeing what happened, at least until 1948, right? Now Israel is back, and God is waking up His people to what He actually said in His Bible. I want you to look down to this note that I gave you. And I, I just, we just talked about it, but the note here says, the spread of this stubborn heart from one individual to the whole nation finally being driven out of the land completely. Once again, Yahovah cares about the individual, but has a special plan for the whole community of His people. He's got a special plan and a special purpose for all of us as a community, not just as an individual. Does He care about the individual? Yes. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come into repentance. Amen. He cares about the individual, but he's got a special plan for a nation, a group of people that are called by his name. <clears throat> when you get to verse 28, look at what it says here. It says, And Yahovah uprooted them from their land in displeasure and in wrath and in great rage and cast them to another land as it is today. The secret matters belong to Yahovah our Elohim, but what is revealed belongs to us and to our children forever to do the words of this Torah. Did you notice that? So this is, once you have to remember who's talking. Who's talking? Moses. He's talking to the people of Israel about to go into the land. 
all of a sudden moves into this prophecy about when you go in there and you need to be careful because when this happens, this is what's going to happen. These curses are going to come upon you. And then in verse 28 says, And Yahovah uprooted them from their land in displeasure. That's spoken past tense as though this has already happened. Folks, this is clear, clearly prophetic. And then look at what it says. The secret matters belong to Yahovah. But what is revealed belongs to us and to our children forever to do the words of this Torah. So he says, listen, the secret things belong to God, belong to Yahovah, the one true God. That's just not meant to stay up here. I, I move around too much. I didn't bring my chair up here. Uh, the secret things belong to Yahovah, the one true God. Folks, this is why Satan can't figure it all out. He's not God Almighty. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> he's not. He doesn't understand the secret things of God. Why? Because he's limited to time and space, and our God is not. He's outside of that. And he says, these secret matters, they belong to God. It's like he's saying, look, this... I'm, can you just imagine being the Israelites right there trying to figure out what in the world Moses is really even talking about right here? Because the words he's using are like, you're, you're talking like it's already happened kind of thing. <clears throat> they're all like, they're fixing to go in. They're moving into this covenant. They're going to uh, go in and, uh, you know, kick the giants out. Um, they're tired of being in the wilderness. They've been out there for 40 years now. It's been 40 years since they've come out of Egypt. And all of a sudden he says, saying all these things, and then this is what's going to happen, and this is what God is going to do. Like past tense, like it's already happened. And then he says, but these are secret matters, and they belong to God. But guess what? He's going to reveal them to us and to our children. I don't think this even totally made sense until 1948. I've got books in my library that clearly say um, that Israel doesn't matter. Uh, They're never coming back. They're not in the land. They haven't been in the land since 70 A.D., and obviously God is through with them. And then you can look at the book and go, well, yeah, it was published before 1948. That was published back in the 1800s. Uh, Most people couldn't figure it out. They're like, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, how and how could God really do that? I mean, where are the Jews? They're everywhere, right? Well, God did that on purpose. And so it says the secret matters belong to God, but what is revealed, that belongs to us and to our children. And then he adds this little clue. I think it's a clue. To do all the words of this Torah. You see, if you can't understand the importance of your Old Testament and keeping the Torah, honoring the Sabbath, doing the feast, you know, there's only four things really in there that, quote-unquote, us Christians struggle with. It's doing the feast and not Christmas and Easter. It's not eating the pork and shellfish and all that junk. It's eating clean like he said. Uh, It's honoring the Sabbath and maybe circumcision. Maybe. That one usually comes up because everybody wants to freak out about it or whatever. But those other three... Are uh, people can see and tell. 
and it's connected to a lot of emotional stuff, and so people freak out. Everything else you're already doing. Be nice, take care of your neighbor, feed the hungry, clothe the naked and the homeless, and read your Bible and pray. And if your oxen, your neighbor's oxen is in the ditch, help him get it out. And those that are in the family, don't charge them interest. Be not, in other words, be nice. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like Jesus said, on these hang all the law and the prophets. So we're already doing those things. But if that part, that one part about the Torah and everything doesn't make sense, <clears throat> then you are forced to reinterpret so much of your Bible that these passages don't even make sense. And you slough it off as a metaphor, and it's just sparsely applied to the church, but whatever, you know, hey, we're just going to get raptured out of here, and we're going to go to heaven and watch all the other suckers, you know, because they didn't accept Jesus. They're going to go through the tribulation, and we weren't that dumb, so we're, we're good to go. I'm not exaggerating. I've literally had Christians tell me that. Um, <clears throat> but this is very important. So it says, <clears throat> this little caveat here of to do all the words of this Torah. And we are awakening to that, amen? Without under, with, with, with understanding that it's not about legalism, it's not about doing sacrifices so that you can get saved. We've gone through that, and we will continue to talk about that so that it gets into our DNA that that wasn't the purpose of all of that. Uh, but we're learning all of this, and we're going, okay, so now my Bible is making more sense. Now I understand it better. Now I understand what you're doing. Oh, my goodness, you're wakening me up in this faraway land looking at what you've been doing and what you are doing, and especially within my generation. And are you serious? I mean, you're about to come get us? You're about to whistle? This next exodus is about to happen, and you're preparing us for that? Are you kidding me? Wow. It's pretty cool, huh? Because the things that are revealed, he is now giving to us. And now watch this. You know why, actually, a lot of you now that are in here, there's some of you that are in here not because of my teaching, but you're in here because you started studying this on your own. Did you know that 30, 40 years ago, you wouldn't have been able to do it? Because you would have had to learn Greek and Hebrew, and then to be able to get out your Strong's Concordance and your lexicon and everything, you had to be able to spell in Greek and Hebrew to even find out what in the world you were looking at. Now, like with my computer, I can hold the cursor over the word, and it gives me everything. I feel like I'm cheating. It gives me so much stuff so fast I feel like I'm cheating. I can literally get lazy with Greek and Hebrew and everything. And I'm like, I, I even took classes. And I'm like, I don't know why I take classes. I got it on my computer. It just tells me everything. I don't even know how to, I don't even have to know how to read it. I can click on another button and it pronounce it for me. Not only that, but you can do it for free on the internet. Why? Because at this time, at this moment, in all of history, knowledge is increasing. People are going to and fro. We're right here at the end. And this is the generation where Israel is now back. They're not perfect. But watch this. All the tribes are not back yet. It is just the start of it. But something will happen, and he's going to bring us all back. And I'm getting excited. Amen? <clears throat> So you get to chapter 30, and this is where it gets real interesting. 
In chapter 30, it it says, And it shall be when all these words come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've, uh, I've set before you, and you shall bring them back to your heart among all the Gentiles where Yahweh your Elohim drives you. So where is this going to happen? And when is it going to happen? When God's people are out among the nations in a faraway land, scattered all over the world, and go, well, now, wait a minute. This is what Yeshua said. He is the prophet, the Messiah. In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God, and the Word was God. We built His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of of the Father. All of that stuff that we believe in in John chapter 1. And we go, so He is God, and this is what He said, and this is what they're telling me, but that doesn't make any sense. And He said, I didn't come to do away with it, but to fulfill it, which means to shine the proper light on it. And then He goes on, so it's pretty clear what He was saying. And they're waking up to it and going, so that's what I'm going to do. And you start following this stuff, and you're telling people, I'm falling more in love with Jesus, and your own family wants to call you a heretic. And you say, you know, I don't want to celebrate Christmas, which is a pagan holiday, on the wrong day, and on and on and on. I want to celebrate the feast where God said, these are my appointed times. They are your rehearsals. They're what you are to recite. This is... That's what it means when it says a rehearsal, a recital. Because God said, I'm literally going to tell you what to do and what to say. So these are the things you need to say. That becomes real important. You're going to see that in just a second. You're supposed to say these things. You're supposed to do these things on these days because they're prophetic and they are my days, my appointed times to meet with you. In other words, don't follow the evil inclination of your own heart and come up with your own stuff. Does that make sense? I'm not here just to bash Christmas today. I'm just saying, look, we're just, we just need to follow God, and you, you, we're, we're doing that. So he says, and when is this going to happen? It's going to happen in this day, in this time, and we're living proof of this. Among all the Gentiles where Yahweh is driving you. Turn the page. And you shall turn back to Yahweh your Elohim and obey His voice and all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your being, with all... and." you and your children. Does that sound familiar? Remember what Jesus said? Remember, this is already in Deuteronomy. We've already covered it. says you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what he's saying. He says, you're going to do this. You're going to remember this, and you're going to turn back to Yahweh, your Elohim, and you're going to obey His voice. He doesn't stop there, does he? Do you see a period? It's a comma, which means you should what? Keep Reading, and he says, you will obey his voice according to all that I command you today. So when was that? 3,500 years ago. The Torah. The Old Testament. He goes, when this happens later, our generation... You're going to hear God. Does that give you goosebumps? I got goosebumps, glory all over me. You're going to hear God. You're going to return to Him, which means teshuva, which means turn from what you were doing and start walking back to where we came from. Back from where we came from. You're going to turn back. You're going to listen and obey His voice and do all the words of this command 
in this Torah that you're hearing today. What does all mean? <laughs> Thank you. It means everything, right? All means all. I think it means all in Hebrew and Greek. It doesn't mean part. It doesn't mean some of it. It doesn't mean just the ceremonial laws. And then you have the civil laws. We're supposed to do the civil laws, but not the ceremony. Folks, man made that up. If you've ever read that, you don't find that in your Bible. God nowhere ever says, oh, and these are the ceremonial laws. These are the civil laws. He doesn't say that. He goes, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you treat your family. This is how you treat people in your country. This is how you treat me. This is how you live. I got some more notes here. Verse 3, Then Yahovah your Elohim shall turn back your captivity and shall have compassion on you. Look at this. And he shall turn back and gather you from all the peoples where Yahovah your Elohim has scattered you. Here's what you need to understand. This could not happen until after 1948. It couldn't. Impossible for this to happen prior to 1948. When Israel was reestablished as a nation, because God is here saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to gather you back into the land. It wasn't possible until after 1948. That means you and I are living in these days. Not our grandparents, not prior to World War II and World War I. They're intertwined. So he's already started this process, amen? Now then, look at this. Because once again, we're just going to keep reading. We get to verse 6. And Yahovah, your Elohim, shall circumcise your heart. Does that sound familiar? It should. Paul talked about it, did he not? It says, Yahovah is going to circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed. To what? To love Yahovah, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your being, so that you might live. This isn't in your notes. You're going to have to write it down. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. This is where Paul is talking about this whole issue of Israel and this issue of circumcision and that it's always been a matter of the heart. Physical circumcision is a physical sign of an inward heart issue and covenantal relationship. It didn't mean that if you went and modified your body, you get to go to heaven. Okay, so Paul is talking about this in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. But when you, can, when you continue on in verse 8, it says, And you shall turn back and obey the voice of Yahovah and do all His commands which I command you today. It's like, how many times do you have to say this? So what he says is, you're going to return, you're going to return back to God, and you're going to do all of His commandments. Not just some of them. I'm going to really honor him. I'll do a little uh, true confession with you here today. We live in Roy City, so we're in exile technically, right? And I got myself in trouble on my at my house. 
trying to pour some concrete, 100 feet long, three feet wide. I've wanted to do it since we moved in the house. I didn't do it when we built the house because I was cheap. Anyway, so we had gravel down, fighting the weeds for 15 years. Neighbor of ours started pour, pour, uh, building a new house. I went over and said, hey, you guys want to earn some extra money? I need this sidewalk poured. Yeah, we'll do it. Told me a price. I said, great, let's do that. I said, great. He goes, I'll get back with you, tell you when I can come next week and do it. I said, great. So I'm looking at it, and I had one of those moments, kind of like when I trimmed my beard. I was like, okay, I'm done, you know. And so I went, I'm sick and tired of fighting these weeds and everything else. So I went, I'm going to go ahead and tear the rock out and everything, get it ready so it's done the way I want to do it. Because like I said earlier, my way is the right way, right? And so, and I thought before, and I went, okay, I'm about to do this. It is hot. It's August. If I do this and he weasels out of it, then I will force myself to get it done, right? So I get my little tractor out, and I mean, I'm, I'm working like crazy, about to die out there, get it all dug out, forms put in and everything. He won't call me back, won't get with me, you know. I call, I talk to uh, Bruce and Marilyn and stuff. I talk to these other people. They give me these phone numbers like, okay, yeah, this guy will come do it. Called him up. Will you do it? Here's the deal. And he goes, yeah, I'll, do it. I'll be glad to do it for $2,700 or something like that. I went, <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, no, it's, it's a sidewalk. I've already done all the dirt work. And he goes, well, let me put a pin to it. If I can help you, I'll call you. Of course, he wouldn't call me back. So then I start doing a hard figure on the, what it's going to cost. I looked at Sonia. I said, well, I know why no one will call me back because if I was bidding the job, I'd want $2,700 to do it. But I ain't paying $2,700 to do this. So I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And I said, well, now I've got a real problem, don't I? Because you guys will not pour on a Sunday. And to get somebody to come do this little bit of work, they don't want to do that unless I'm going to pay them, you know, their profit, which I understand that. And I went, and all the young bucks I know that I would dare ask to come help me move concrete, they got jobs. And I ain't doing it on a Saturday. And I went, so how in the world am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Um, mm. So um, Brent starts helping me, and he gives me this guy's number. I'm begging him to come during the week. He just can't do it. And I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I'm in exile. Even when I talk to the concrete people, they tell me it's against the law. We can't do it. We can't drive on Sunday. We can't work them seven days a week. We can come on, Sunday, on Saturday, we can come at 3 in the morning, but no, we can't. I'm like, yeah, I know, whatever. So I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the guy says, look, I can come on Saturday, but it's the only time I can come. I said, well, God, you're just going to have to forgive me. I don't know how to do this, and I can't do it myself, and now I'm going to have a mud pit out here. And I, I don't know what to do. And I said, but Lord, if you don't want me to do it like this, just make it not work, make it not work and help me get this done. So I go down there, and lo and behold, guess what? They were busy that day. Couldn't deliver the concrete. And I said, well, okay, praise the Lord. Great. I was like, he, he kept me from, I won't say, he kept me from sinning, right? And I'm going, okay. Uh, so I called the guy up, and he goes, well, maybe I can come today. And I called him back, and he said, no, we can't do it today. So I said, look, is there any way you can come during the week? And he goes, well, let me see what I can do. So uh, he was going to come the other day. He just couldn't get the concrete out there. And he goes, look, I'll call you next week. We'll figure out a way. He said, I'm, I'm going to come out there and help you out. We'll, we'll get it done. I said, is there just any way? I don't want to do it on a Saturday. He goes, okay. It's not easy 
It is not easy to follow God and do what He said. But if we will trust Him, and maybe if you're struggling like I was this last week, and you, you pray like I do, say, God, if you don't want me to do this, then make it stop happening. Keep me from being an idiot. I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to keep trying to move forward. And who knows, maybe God let me do all that and let this guy see my struggle. And now he's feeling sorry for me. He's like, look, I'll come help. Maybe, that's, maybe that was the deal. I don't, I don't know. But I, what I am saying is it's not easy. Can anybody else test it? I mean, it's, it's not easy. It is hard. And we have, but we have to trust God that he knows what he's doing and he wants us to honor him. He wants us to honor Him. So He says, you're going to do all these commands. And once again, you have to what? You have to keep reading. This is amazing. In verse 9 it says, And Yahovah your Elohim shall make you have excess in all, your wor- all the work of your hand and in the fruit of your body, the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of your ground for good. And this part, I can't really wrap my brain around it. For Yahovah turns back to rejoice over you. You might want to circle that or highlight that in your Bible. For good as He rejoiced over your fathers. This is about God rejoicing over us. But look what it says, and I intentionally highlighted some words here for you. If, if, big if there, right? If you obey the voice of Yahweh your Elohim, to guard, or the word usually is keep, to guard His commands and His laws which are written in this book of the Torah. If you turn back to Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your being. He's saying, if you will do this, and if you will truly follow God, even when it's hard, He will return and turn around and rejoice over you. Is that not mind-boggling? Once again, we get this dumb idea that if we do these things, then we get the blessings. What? If we honor God, He's honored and will literally rejoice and sing over us for crying out loud. That's when we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, people. Hmm. This is where it says this in, verse, in chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment which I'm commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it far off. And as Susan was reading that, if you continue reading, because it says, because it is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. Right? And so he says, it's not hard. Why is it not hard? Because it's in their heart and in their mouth. Here's what's fascinating. How did it get in their mouth and in their heart? The Israelites. They did what God said and recited what He said over and over and over till it became part of their lives and in their heart. You seeing that? Now we have Yeshua, and He's writing it where? On our heart. 
And this is why God said it is not hard. It's easy. I wrote it out for you. You can do this. It's not that difficult. You know what's difficult? It's for you to stop being you. That's what's hard. As soon as you get out of the way and stop with your stubbornness of your own heart and saying, I'm going to be fine, I'll do whatever I want, and it's not going to affect anybody, it killed the nation. Folks, that's why our sins don't affect just you alone. It impacts, I'll say it this way, it impacts everybody in this room and everybody that's supposed to be in this room. It does. And so we all have to work at it, but none of us are perfect, amen? That's why we have to be gracious, loving, encourage one another. And on top of that, I think almost all of us in here are real new to understanding that the Torah is still applicable and still trying to figure it out. And, you know, what do you do at the Feast of Trumpets? Well, we're going to blow the trumpet. And the rabbis would all say, well, you're doing it all wrong. You're not wearing the right clothes. You're not eating the right food. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do what the Bible says, and I'll figure it out as I go along. Amen? So we're, we're learning, and that's where we have to be gracious. Amen? Take a deep breath. Now, watch this. Uh, in verse 16, we'll close with this. Or not close. We're going to close this section with this because now it's going to get really fascinating. It says, In that I'm commanding you today to love Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in His ways, to guard His commands and His laws and His right rulings, just in case there's any misunderstanding what He's talking about. And you shall live and increase, and Yahweh your Elohim shall bless you in the land which you go into to possess. I wanted you to see that because He's really stressing here, <clears throat> look, He'll bless you as an individual because it's about our individual walk with God. But what we keep forgetting is that God has called a nation out to do something miraculous to prove to the world that He really is God. I know I've said this before. Most people don't realize this. Most of the prophecies in your Bible that deal with the Messiah are hidden. Did you know that? Most of them are not understandable until Yeshua came. Once He came and lived His life, then we're able to go back and see all these prophecies. There's not that many that say, you know, when He comes, these are the specific things that He's going to do. There's all these like hidden prophecies that once you see His life and you go, are you serious? No, the whole Old Testament is written about Him. But there is one prophecy that is said over and over and over again that has more weight, more connected to the integrity of the name of God than anything else in all of Scripture, and it's this one. It's all over the place once you start to realize it. This issue, look, you're going to go in the land, you're stubborn. I'm going to kick you out because you're going to worship other gods but you're still my people. Satan's going to try to obliterate you. Don't worry, I've got this. You're still my people. Types of the Antichrist will come and try to commit 
genocide and wipe you off the face of the earth. Don't worry, I've got that too, and I will protect you. And then for 2,000 years, I will scatter you all over the face of the earth to keep Satan from being able to find you. But at the end of time, I will bring you back. During that process, I'm going to cause Jerusalem to become a cup of trembling to the world. And right at the right moment, I'm going to settle accounts. And when I do that, it will be over the world dividing up my land and killing my people. And I will call you out into the wilderness where I've scattered you. And I will deal with you there. And then I will miraculously bring you back on such a global scale that for the rest of eternity, that's the exodus you're going to remember. And that's what he's been talking about over and over and over in the Bible. And yet most Christians or most pastors do not understand that prophecy. Did you know that? I've literally asked ministers, denominational leaders, have you ever heard of anything about this other exodus? Nope. I went to school, studied, been a pastor for many years, had never heard of this thing called the, people nowadays call it the greater exodus, but I'd never even heard of it myself until about three or four years ago. I'd be sitting in conversations or watching something, other people talking about the greater exodus, and because I didn't want to look like an idiot, I'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have a clue what they're talking about. I'm going to have to go home and study. And I'm just sitting there grinning and shaking my head going... Well, I feel like such an idiot. I don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're saying a greater exodus. Oh, that's going to be really cool. I would drive away and go, what in the world? What are they talking about? I've never heard anything at all like that. And I've asked other ministers and denominational leaders, have you ever heard anything? They're like, no. And I would go, yeah, me either. No, no, no surprise, huh? What's amazing is that's what the Bible, two-thirds of your Bible prophecies in your Bible, that's what it's dealing with. Is dealing with the fact that God said, I'm God. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it with this nation. I'm going to scatter them, and then at the end of the time, I'm going to bring them back. And your Bible is all about the fulfillment of that prophecy. Isn't that amazing? Yet most people don't even know about it. Who do you think started that lie? A long time ago. Why? Because he doesn't want you to know about it. Why doesn't he want you to know about it? Because he doesn't want you to be prepared, and he sure enough doesn't want you telling somebody else. Because then we'll be getting in his face. And there's nothing I like better than just giving him a black eye. And we can do that because of our great God. Now watch this. This is where now your New Testament, you're going to go, what, 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 what? John chapter 15. Now, Jesus is the Messiah, right? He is also the prophet spoken of by God through Moses when he said, I will send another prophet like you and I will put my words within him and they are to listen to everything he said, right? That's the prophet. I mentioned this to Susan before church and I thought I wasn't going to say anything, but I am. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration event? And he said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Then what did he say? Listen to him. Why did he say that? Because he is the prophet, the Messiah, that he said, I will put all my words within him and everybody needs to listen to him and when they don't, I'm going to require it of them. So Yeshua's the Messiah and the prophet, right? Now listen to this famous chapter, remembering what we just studied about this word being near you and in you. 
and God gathering and scattering. Now listen to this. This is where Jesus says, Yeshua says, I am the true vine and the Father is the gardener. i got to stop for a second. You know why he would say he's the true vine? Because the vine in the vineyard was a picture of Israel. God is a gardener. Why would, I, why, would God, why would even Jesus say that? Well, at the very beginning, God created heaven and earth, created man. What did he do? He planted a garden and put man in it. Yes. So he says, I'm the true vine, and our Father, my Father, is the gardener. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. Bitterness, root, of, root of bitterness, bearing poisonous fruit like a vine. And if you've got a vine or a branch on the vine that's not bearing fruit, he does what? He casts it away. You get away from God, you're cast away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it bears more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Turn the page. Stay in me and I stay in you. As the branch is unable to bear fruit of itself unless it stays in the vine. So neither you unless you stay in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who stays in me and I in him, he bears much fruit because without me you are able to do naught. Or like some will say, you're not, you can't do anything apart from me. Now here's some more big ifs again for you. If anyone does not stay in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you stay in me and my words stay in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. In this is my Father esteemed or glorified that you bear much fruit and you shall be my taught ones. It, uh, you should be my taught ones. As the Father has loved me, I also love you. Stay in my love. Look at this, verse 10. If you guard my commands, you shall stay in my love, even as I have guarded my Father's commands and stay in His love. These words I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Do you see that? And that your joy may com be complete. What's he describing? Deuteronomy chapter 30. That's exactly what he's describing. Folks, when, all we want to focus on usually is, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and me and you, then you can you know, bear much fruit. And you know what else? This one's real important. Ask whatever you will and I'll do it for you. That's what we have a tendency to focus on, right? What's he saying here? Look, the way this works is when you stay in me and do what I say, my words being in you, and it's not hard. Why? Because it's in you. How did it get in you? Because Jesus gave us the very word and the command. And now we know it's written on our heart. Now watch what Paul says. Paul quotes this chapter, this verse, in Romans 10, verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? Well, let me back up. I'm sorry, I got ahead of my... Romans 10, verse 4. For the Messiah is the goal of the Torah unto righteousness to everyone who believes. Folks, no one ever got into the kingdom of heaven by keeping Torah. 
Nobody, ever. So what does he say? Paul is saying, look, Yeshua is the target. He's the goal. In your ESV and in most versions, it's going to say the end. The problem with that is it can mean end, but it means end goal, not abolishment of. It means He's the target. That's why we're told to walk the way Jesus walked. Do what He did. Say what He said. Live the way He lived. That's why He says you need to abide in Me. My words abide in you. And then you can ask whatever you want to be done for you. Well, of course. If God's Word is abiding in us to such a degree, we're doing what He said, we love Him, we want to honor Him, we want to just simply honor Him, then folks, I honestly believe you can say, God, I'm fixing to go try to pour some concrete on the Sabbath, and I don't feel good about it. So if that's not right, even though I'm in exile, please make it stop. And I think He goes, no problem. They are now too busy. Not going to happen. Okay. So now when I walk to the barn, I have to walk out to the other rocks, out on the other driveway, all the way around, wade through the water. I'm like, no problem, God, just whenever you're going to make this happen, great, as long as we don't have to do it on a Sabbath, then, then good. So then now in, in, in this same chapter, chapter 10, verse 8 through 13, this is where Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 30. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. I've got this in here for you noted. Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 30. Now watch this. That is the word of belief which we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth the Master Yeshua and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved, because the Scripture says, whoever puts his trust in him shall not be put to shame, because there is no distinction between Yehudite or Jew and Gentile or, or Greek, for the same Master is uh, of all is rich to those who call upon him, for everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh shall be saved. You see that? That's where Paul is trying to explain this, and he's saying, look, God's not through with the Jew, and all this, what does the Bible, what does the Torah say? It says the word is near you and in you. He's saying it is near you and in you. How is that? Because God is now writing it on your heart and God is circumcising the heart because it's the heart that's the issue, not whether or not you're Jewish and you're physically circumcised or you're eating clean or, or whatever. You can do all that stuff and still not get into the kingdom if it's not born of faith. So watch this. The Old Testament people that were people of faith did what he said and then trusted God that he would take care of it and they were considered saved. Go study Hebrews chapter 11. It's the great faith chapter. There are all these Old Testament believers. They trusted in him, but they didn't know Yeshua's name. It didn't matter. They were calling upon the name of the Lord and trusting Him and living out their lives the way God said because they loved Him. Just that simple. Does that make sense? Now us on the other side have the benefit of knowing what Yeshua did and able to look back into the Old Testament and see all these 
prophetic signs and going, yeah, he's the Messiah. Yeah, he's the prophet. Yeah, he's the one that was to come. He's the one that's going to come again. He was the son of David. He's going to be a son of Joseph. Now he's the son of David. When he comes back, he's going to come back as the conquering king. We get all of that. We're like, okay, we've got that blessing because now we're able to see all this stuff and understand it. But guess what? We still call upon him by faith. So you can call yourself a Christian. You can go to church every day. You can live in the church. I used to tell the people, taught when I was in a youth ministry, I'd say, if you slept in a garage, that doesn't make you a car. Sounds funny, but it's true. People think, well, I'm going to go to church, so that's going to make me good. I get to get in. That doesn't mean squat. Satan's got a lot of his minions in the church. Oh, but now, see, we're going to keep Torah, so that's going to get me in. You don't think Satan doesn't have his minions keeping Torah? It's not about what we do to what we get. It's about what we do to honor the king. Period. Does that make sense? So we do it because we want to honor him. Why? Because his word is in us. And folks, that's exactly why Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandment. Pretty simple. If you actually love me, then you'll do what I said. And there's going to be plenty that are going to do what he said so that they can get something. But isn't that amazing how when Yeshua uses this John chapter 15 passage, and we have a tendency, I did, until I was studying it for this week, I went, you got to be kidding me. So when he's saying all this stuff, as the Messiah, he's saying, I, I am the Word, and I've given you the Word, and now it's not hard, and so here I'm going to explain it again. You're either in me or you're not. And if you're in me but you're not bearing fruit, it means you don't really love me, which means you get broken and cast off. But if you are in me and dwelling in me, then you are bearing fruit. And yeah, you might get pruned a little bit, like the Sabbath thing, but I'm going to do that so that you can bear more fruit. Yeah, you don't have to go behind the woodshed every now and then, get a spanking, you know, deal with that. But we're still connected to the vine. Same thing God was saying in Deuteronomy 30. When you go in and you get into this covenantal marriage relationship, do what I say, you're going to be blessed. But you know what? You're not going to. It's just the way it's going to be because you're going to follow the inclination of your own heart. You're going to want an earthly king. I'm telling you not do it, but you're going to do it. When you do it, these are the limitations you're supposed to put on the king, but you're not even going to do that. Because the king is going to get prideful. He's going to think he's all-powerful. He's going to do what he wants to do. Then you're going to have that Bathsheba problem. You know what? And then out of that Bathsheba issue, you're going to have Solomon. So wise. What an idiot. If you haven't studied Solomon, the guy was a knucklehead. He's so smart and so wise, he is an idiot. So he does all these other dumb things. He literally spent his life going, let me see if I can just while away my life and see if there's any kind of meaning, meaning, meaningfulness out there outside of God. Because he had all the money, all the power, all the wives, all this, anything. That's why he comes up with this stuff. I realize it's all vanity. And you're talking about pagan religions and everything else that was all mixed in. Boy, he was at the head of it. And then all of a sudden, his son comes along, and he goes, and all the advisors are saying, you probably need to stop taxing them. And he goes, nah, I think I'll tax them more. And then out of that, you end up having the split 
of the whole country between the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. And then they go off and they do what? They get, it becomes even worse. And it just keeps snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. God goes, I know that's what you're going to do. But you know what? I still love you. I'm going to choose to love you because I'm going to use you as an example to all the world that I am who I say I am. And I love you. And when you do turn back to me, this is the part that's it's just mind-boggling. With all of that, you ever have a friend or somebody that just hurt your feelings or just, they just wore you out and you said no more. Can anybody relate? It's okay. You can you relate to that and you go, I'm, and then you say, I'm done, right? Can you imagine God? He even divorced the 10 northern tribes. Said, I'm done, I'm going to divorce you. But I love you so much, I'm going to come back and die for you. You're going to reject me? And you're going to worship me like a pagan. Like demon worship. And you're going to call it good. And I'm not going to forget you. And then I'm going to put it in your heart to look for me. Right at the right time in all of human history. And I'm going to put tools there where you can see what the word really says. And how much I really love you. And you will turn back to me. And when you do, I won't say, you know, I remembered all that stuff you did, so I'm, I'm done with you. He says, I'm going to sing over you and rejoice over you. Because I'm even going to put it in your heart to want to love me. That is mind-boggling. And Yeshua was the embodiment of that. But folks, those blessings are still coming. And in a way that I think will literally purple smoke, blow our minds. When that day really happens, and the rest of the world is you know, just going down the toilet. And that Shekinah glory shows up and he speaks to us. And he says, I need you right over here. And all of a sudden we're surrounded with all these like-minded people that just want to love God. No matter what anybody else says. In spite of what everybody else says, we're like, look, I don't care if nobody goes, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to love Him. We're going to serve Him. Even when all of religion says it's wrong. Well, all of religion is wrong, people. <laughs> and these knuckleheads that end up being in charge, all you got to do is read the news for crying out loud. I don't have to go over that junk. It's corrupt. Why is it corrupt? Because everybody following the own, their own inclination of their own heart. And so you start making stuff up. And then you actually start believing, hey, I'm okay. Yeah, it's no big deal. I mean, we're not really killing anybody today. Right? And you end up doing all this dumb stuff. Well, 
God just loves you. And He's showing you how much He loves you by the sheer fact that you're here and you're searching and you're trying and trying to get closer to Him. And that's because right now He's whistling for His people scattered all over the world. You're part of that. The most exciting time in all of human history. Do you understand that? It's more exciting than the time of Noah. It's more exciting literally than the time of Yeshua because most of them didn't even understand what was going on. They didn't see it. But what's happening right now is global and it's picking up steam because we're getting closer and closer and closer. And when it does happen, it says the nations will go, He really is God. Just like Pharaoh. I guess He is God. And then for a short time, the nations will go, He's God, He's God, He's God. And then after that thousand years, they're going to say, No, He's not. And they're going to try to come and attack Him again, just like the first exodus. And then God will simply speak and consume them and it'll all be done. Create a new heaven and a new earth. Put us back in the Garden of Eden. And then say, have at it. Part of my divine counsel. Absolutely amazing. God loves you so much. So much.